Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of Vinyl and Vision. We're back. Here we are with episode 101. After a short break, uh, we took about two months off just to kind of rethink things a little bit. I realized that I, uh, I wanted to keep on speaking with some people, and I had a couple of people in mind. One of them is tonight's very special guest, David Schellenberg, from the band Tunic from Canada. Uh, they have a new record called Wrong Dream out on Art of Fact Records. What you're listening to is one of the songs off of that record called Whispering. And at the end of the episode, I'm going to include a short clip of another song off of that record called Indirect. I was looking forward to speaking with David because I have been hearing a lot about the band Tunic, and I listened to all of their records, and they're all very great for a number of different reasons. They are a band that is evolving, which is cool. I love that. I love to, to see and to know about bands that are doing that in the moment that they're doing them. And we touch on that a little bit in this conversation. You know, the topic of conversation today, uh, the album of choice by David, was uh, Weezer's Pinkerton, which is an album that is near and dear to my heart. I absolutely love that record. I've loved it since it came out in 96, uh, when I first heard it. So, as far as, like, you know, comparing and contrasting, you know, the album chosen by the artist who also makes music and what they make, there are some similarities, I think. You know, I, I encourage you guys to go and listen to uh, all of the records that are that Tunic has out currently, and maybe you can even hear a little bit of that yourself. If you don't know <laughs> Weezer's Pinkerton, by all means, go pick it up. So, I hope you guys enjoy the show, and hope you enjoy our conversation. And if you do, all that we ask is that you please do all the things you do with the internet. Like, share, subscribe, comment, rate, review, all of those things. And, uh... Remember to check out Tunic and all of their records. Uh, links will be provided in the show notes, and they will be on tour in support of the band, uh, the band from the UK called John. Not to be confused, the band is na- the band name is John. Uh, I guess it's because all the members of the band are Johns. So do that when you can, if you can. Links will be provided, of course, for all of these things, tour dates, and so forth. And uh, thank you. Enjoy. Hello, Dave. David. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you doing? All right. All right. So, uh, so what's going on, man? I, I, it's, I've, uh, I've been hearing a lot about Tunic, and uh, it's like really a pleasure to kind of have you here to, to speak with. Awesome. Thanks so much. Uh, you know, just regular rock band stuff. Just We just did a nice three weeks uh, across North America, and we're home for the summer. We're going to announce few more shows um for the fall and we're going out on a support tour for this band john from the uk in uh in october so we're uh just keeping busy yeah more more dates in the u.s with the with that yeah. band john right yeah yeah we have one show in canada uh, in toronto but the but the bulk of it's obviously in the u.s okay wow 
Well, that's great. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I missed you, I think. I think you were just here not too long ago, or at least uh, I guess you're the closest you came was Boston, right? We did. Yeah, we did play Boston. Yeah. You play with I, our friends, Bedtime Magic. That's right. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't know where you where you are. Oh, Rhode Island. Oh, in Rhode Island. Uh, well, you know that we made our last record there in Rhode Island. Yeah. Was it just the last one or was it all of them? It was the last one. The last wrong dream, wrong dream we made in Pawtucket with uh, Seth Manchester. Oh, how do you like Pawtucket? Uh, I mean, the only part of Pawtucket I saw was was Machines with Magnets, so I loved it. <laughs> but Rhode okay. Island as a whole, uh, I mean, uh, I liked the state. It was it was very nice. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I like Providence. It's a it's a. And I've had some good shows there. So, oh yeah, you have been here before. That's true. You do. A, you have done a lot of touring. Yes, too much. Maybe no, no such thing. Uh, maybe just looking back now, in my now that I'm in my thirties and I look back at my twenties, I'm like, I can't believe I did all that. But right, yeah, right, yeah. Um, so you're you're thirty or how old? Thirty. Are you? I'm thirty-one. Okay. Oh, so you're considerably younger than I am. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Perhaps by like twelve years. Okay. Okay. Because um, so I was thinking about it, you know, like uh, I've asked you here to speak about an album that is important to you. And mm -hmm. so you chose Weezer's Pinkerton. True. Now, so I was asking your age because I assumed before I had done any research about you that you would probably be around my age. No. So, um, yes, that's fair that you would assume I, I, I would be 40 for picking an album that's from 1996. So I, I, yeah, that's, that's a fair assumption. Right. Well, because this came this album came out uh, in 96. One, and so I was. 16 years old approximately right. um and so it hit me in a very specific place because of a number of things i mean i was already a fan i already liked the blue album at this mm -hmm. point you know and um you know hearing this for the first time having the drastic difference between this one and, and the first record uh, and then of course you know the 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 vulnerability that the whole record displayed Mm -hmm. Like as it's coming, listening to it as a sixteen-year-old was just like, yeah, he's just speaking my language. This is great. Yeah, yeah. Was so. What was your experience like? Oh man, I okay. I very much remember buying Pinkerton. It like it was very much a, a you know my musical coming of age era of my life. I was maybe as thirteen or fourteen, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, so it was the early two thousands. I was just starting to get into music. When you live in Winnipeg, you're you're uh, like three hours away from Grand Forks, North Dakota. So uh -huh. it's like a thing that families would do. They would like go to the U.S. so they could shop at Target and stuff like that. Yeah. Huh. I think I only maybe had like two or three like CDs that like I really wanted that I owned mm -hmm. at the time. And one of them was the Blue Album. One of them was the Strokes. And one of them was uh, the first Interpol record. And, uh, and so then I was... Uh, yeah, I was down in Grand Forks and I saw that they that they had CDs at Target and I got the green album in Pinkerton and I and I bought them both and I remember wanting to listen to them really badly and I put on Pinkerton, I get from the car and it's like me, my teenage, my older sister, my parents, and they're like and it just starts with that horrendous feedback uh or like slash synth. And my mom was just like, This is not like it's like what is this? Like she was just not impressed. With yeah. that, like, like within like 10, 15 seconds of it, it's like, this is like, I thought this was Weezer. I thought I was going to, you know, like this, but you know, and so, um, yeah. that's like my very first memory of that record. I'd never listened to a single song off of it before. Right. I just 
I just bought it because it was Weezer and uh, it is like one of my all time favorite records of all time. It's one of my Desert Island records. It's yeah. Well, so we'll put that. Let's put this into context a little bit. So, how old were you on this trip with your family? It's probably like eleven or twelve. And this is what two thousand four, two thousand three, two thousand two. 2003, 2002. Okay, so you know, so this record had already been out for a while, and Weezer yeah. is already like a household name by this yeah, point. Yeah, Green, Green Album was out, so yeah. they, they already went back to being safe. Right, so, right, safe yeah. and and very famous at this point. Yes, yes. Um, was, did you say it was your mom that said like I thought this was Weezer? Like yeah, she was surprised. Yeah. yeah, she was. She was like su- surprised and not very, very happy to like first song to be you know tired of sex and for right. it to be like this like quote-unquote heavy, very distorted, angst-filled, you know, and so. I guess so. So she had experience with the band. Like, she already kind of knew who we were. Yeah, because she was my mom, and so she would have heard me, like, downloading the Blue Album on Napster or something like that, you know, like on the family computer or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So what what did she, like, what is your mom like? like? What would she listen to? My mom... My mom, both my dad doesn't, my dad doesn't like music. <laughs> my wow. dad, my dad had one CD in his car and it was the Caddyshack theme song. I mean, it's the Caddyshack uh, soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Dad loves golf. And uh, my mom loves the Beatles. She loves Joan Baez. She loves uh, Rod Stewart. And okay. those, those are sort of all the things that like, that I grew up, that we, I grew up listening to in the house. Yeah, and like, and I don't know if this is just a Canadian thing, but there's women in songs. Do you do you remember the CD compilation? It sounds vaguely familiar. I'm not sure. Okay. It's very bad. Yeah, uh, yeah, it sounds vaguely familiar. I feel like I've I've heard of it in passing, but never really had to sit with it. Thankfully, <laughs> it's true. So, um, and so now you at this time, you said you were about twelve or thirteen. Yeah. What uh, what were you listening to? I mean, obviously, you knew and liked Weezer. What else were you into at that time? I listened to The Strokes. So I had I had um, two two to three doors down from me. There was a there was a, a I had a friend who was a year younger than me, but and he had uh, some older brothers who were in like grade eleven and twelve, and maybe they were even one of them was even graduated. But they had a band. They oh, okay. had a band. And they worshipped Weezer and um, all the sort of garage rock revival stuff. Mm-hmm. Of that of that early two thousands era, okay. Uh, so like they were really into like the you know the Strokes and the Vines and the White Stripes and and yeah. some of that real like classic okay. power chord rock music, right? And right. Had, uh, so that was like really eye opening to me. Is like we would like hear them play covers or like my friend would be like my brother burned me this CD or whatever. And so like Weezer was always sort of like regarded as top dog and yeah. so I, I so i took it from there but like i also was skateboarding a lot as one does in junior high mm-hmm. and uh i found a lot of music through skateboard videos so like that's how i discovered interpol which was like one of my favorite bands at that time also oh really in skateboarding videos yeah that's and so then, funny and there was a uh, decepticon by la tigra was also in was also in a it was in the same music video and I remember being like, but like, there's no credits. It doesn't say what the song is or anything like that. And so like, right. I yeah. had to, yeah. So then, and every Friday night I would watch, um, 
The Wedge, which is on Much Music, which is Canada's MTV. And uh, The Wedge was like their indie hour. And so like there would be, that's where I heard Interpol. Like that's when I like was like, that's the song from the skateboard video. Like, holy shit. And like Hmm. they would maybe have Beck. They would maybe have like, I remember seeing like a Portishead music video on there. But it was also, it was all like sort of like things that they wouldn't play during regular hours. It was like you know right. more like so that's sort of like i discovered a lot of music there but yeah that that between much music's the wedge and my my childhood friends older brothers band that's where like it all sort of started for me yeah oh okay that's cool and so um and well what about for you for yourself like when did you start learning how to play an instrument and what instrument did you start with right after that pretty much so i um some friends of mine were quote unquote starting a band Two of them play guitar and someone just got a drum kit. And so I begged my parents to, uh, to buy me a bass and they said no. So they rented me a bass to see if it was something that I'd be into. And it's, it's very funny because music was never something my parents, uh, wanted, like, no, they never wanted me not to do music, but I have a learning disability. I have a couple learning disabilities and, uh, and which makes reading very difficult for me. And so they're like, well, you won't be able to read music. So let's not make him do music where my sister played piano and took piano lessons. And so they're like, I want to learn how to play bass. So I, they eventually rented me a bass. I joined my friend's band. We were awful. I started to learn tabs. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's, yeah. So I started on bass and actually Tunic is the only band I've ever not played bass in. Oh, okay. I, I bought a guitar to make Tunic, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, how many bands have you been in before Tunic? Oh, gosh. Many, many. Uh, lots. Okay. Uh, maybe, maybe uh, you know, like like a dozen. It has to probably be like a dozen or so. Like, okay. Wow, that's a lot. I mean, uh, and when did, how old were you when Tunic started? I was quite young. Tunic really started as like a glorified hobby. Um, okay. I was probably 21 22 okay so it's yeah. like it's, it's been around for a decade but we really didn't do anything for the for the first five years or so i had to learn how to play guitar and it was just right. like it was just like me and two buddies meeting up at midnight on a weekday to to jam for a couple hours and smoke cigarettes and drink beer and like mm-hmm. it was uh it was just things out kind of yeah it's just like a glorified hang like yeah it's just an excuse for me to play drums with someone some for me to play music with someone who i wanted to play music with who was a drummer sam neil who's our original drummer who still does all of our artwork today and uh and uh my roommate at the time slash still current best friend uh rory ellis who also just recently left the band but uh but yeah so it was just like the three of us just hanging out making weird punk music together yeah well, what inspired that? Because, I mean, like, well, maybe I should ask before that. So these 12 bands that you were in before, <clears throat> like, what style of music were those bands? Oh, they were all, uh, like, the first one was very much like a indie pop, indie rock, very safe. Sure. A la uh, Weezer? Yeah, sure, exactly. Like, maybe. a very, yeah, yeah, very, a very sort of, like, they, they would have, like, you know, we've covered the Sweater Song, we covered the Pixies. Mm-hmm. Um okay. 
and then I played in like a, I got really into post rock later on. So I made like an instrumental rock band uh, that was like I played bass, someone played drums, someone played uh, lap steel, and someone played uh, violin. And we were like an instrumental quartet. Hmm. That, was, okay. that was cool. And then I played in like my friend Kelly had a more uh, sort of piano forward uh, like indie rock thing. So maybe more like uh, some more of that like twee sound. Okay. Uh, yeah. I played in a band that sounded like the national. I played in a very like, uh, joy division, my bloody Valentine inspired sort of, yeah. uh, Tango so, so nothing that was kind of, nothing that was classic, heavy, nothing noise rockish. No, no tunic tunic is sort of just like its own thing. I kind of eventually just got really bored with, uh, I was a real like, hipster indie kid i guess like post-rock was sort of like the more like interesting thing that i listened to yeah and then eventually i just uh started exploring the heavier side of 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 things yeah yeah okay and and so noise rock specifically i mean you would consider tunic to be yeah, a noise rock yeah band, right? yeah yeah so i mean so what... tunic to be whatever people want it to be i don't really care to be honest at the end of the day it's whatever my hands make this sure what, sure yeah. well so so i mean with that being said i mean you didn't have any aspiration to be in a noise rock band no. you were just trying experimenting with music and trying to make something more abrasive and kind of loud and aggressive yeah not not even originally like tunic was like supposed to be like a more like heavier like indie band like sort of like on like the uh, less noisy version of like sonic youth or something like that okay and uh but then sam uh our original drummer is a fucking behemoth of drums and uh, i believe a quote that rory once said was that sam plays like drums like a like a brick in a washing machine like oh. Like yeah. he was so loud and so heavy. And so I'd be like, I kind of, I'm like, I, I wrote these riffs and then Sam would be like, cool. I play drums like this. And, like, and so I had to just be like, Oh shit, I got, I got to change how I write songs. Yeah. And, and so I, I started writing heavier songs to match with Sam's heavier style. And, uh, Sam huh. really started to show Rory and I, and Rory and I very much had the same musical upbringing, uh, some cooler, bands to check out and like i remember the first time sam ever played us Bauhaus or like some mm -hmm. sort of uh more yeah, or this or this heat or or sort of like you know yeah. uh, scratch acid or something like that like he was the one that showed all of us all that stuff and we were like oh this is really cool and then right i didn't i didn't sing for like the first two and a half years of band practice okay and I was like, what's my voice going to be like? And then eventually I just started like talking and I started talking louder and I started yelling and I started really yelling. And, and so I never set out to make a noise rock band. I was never like, I love Jehu or I love, you know, like yeah. cows or, or Jesus lizard. I want to make a band like that. Like it just, it just started happening. That's funny. Well, it's cool, though. I mean, uh, it's actually kind of more impressive because it's like there's nothing that was clouding your vision. It was all just like what whatever comes to me and feels good. Let's do it. Exactly. And that's always it's always been like so many people have been like, oh, do you listen to this? And I'd be like, nope. Like we go into it and play a show and people are like, have you ever heard of this band? I'd be like, nope. And like and I found a lot of cool bands that way of people. Uh, sure. Yeah. Telling me about it, but I've never really like. You know, I started listening to the bands after I started making the music. Yeah, that's great. That's so cool, man.
I, I actually really can can appreciate that. And as far as your music is concerned, I mean, I guess that makes sense because, you know, I've been listening to your your three records that you have out currently. And um, and I hear a little bit like a hair. I can hear like a like a hair of like what Weezer is and what they may have influenced on you, like um, because you have a sense of like like melody and a hook and maybe even a little bit of a pop sensibility mm-hmm. in some of your songs <clears throat> but but it is still you know noise rock it's still noisy for sure and then you know dissonant um dissonant harmonies and so forth and obviously the screaming vocals is a little different mm-hmm. than than rivers cuomo yes but um but then even lyrically speaking it's your music is uh, tends to be um vulnerable vulnerable in a sense um maybe not as um as kind of like bare as this album seems, as Pinkerton mm-hmm. seems, but definitely you you uh, kind of bare yourself and your soul in your music. Yeah, and I definitely like took you know, I think that's that's very uh, clever of you to see that sort of line between Weezer and, and and Tunic, and yeah, I very much like took you know thinking about Pinkerton as a like essentially just like a diary mm-hmm. of frustration and guilt and shame and all those things, and like every Tunic record is about my oh, frustrations guilty like you know guilt shame and 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 it's my therapy just like how pinkerton was very much you know and so that's i don't know if i've ever actually realized that until talking about it now but that's like hmm. lyrically tunic has always been something that i just use for for this pure cathartic energy of it of yelling about Whatever, whatever thing I'm unhappy about at that time. And it's funny to revisit those things every night on tour and be like, well, remember when I was mad about this six years ago? And so, like, it's... Uh... And, yeah, for the pop sensibilities, like, I still have, like, a root, my roots in, uh, you know, in pop music or in, like, you know, alternative pop music. And so I still, like, I want it, Tunic to sound bad, but also good at the same time and still have like that, like sort of pop music structure, which is something that we're sort of starting to lean away a little bit uh, and some stuff we're writing right now, but like, but especially on some of the first three records, for sure, we have a real like first course bridge, you know, yeah. approach to it all. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I mean, I think it's funny. Like I just, I just love to try to make these connections, you know I mean? Like you're, you're saying it's weird and maybe how you never thought about that until now, but um that's kind of what I do. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm trying to find, trying to find through lines and connections. Cause sometimes there's not, sometimes mm. there's none. Sometimes it's just like, wait, how, why did you choose this record? <laughs> how, what did it, what did it do to you? Cause it just, it does, you can't hear any kind of connection sometimes, but, um, but this is an interesting one because first of all, I love this record. I was very happy that you chose it because oh, I, I know it. I mean, I, I know I have my copy right here. It's better than me. I think I bought it on CD three times. I think. I, I, I did that too. Yeah. No, this is this is actually the first vinyl copy of this album that I got because it was in this silver marbled vinyl. Nice. And nice. um, you know, and and it's a, a testament to how much record how much that record meant to me because I, I did buy it on on vinyl, even though, you know, I have streaming capability now and all that stuff. I can hear it whenever I want to hear it. Um, but I definitely felt like this is this was one that needed to kind of be in the library. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I've been doing that um, with my vinyl buying habits. Like, I'll buy maybe six to twelve records a year, 
mm-hmm. on vinyl and it will just be the records that I that I listen to the most on streaming where I'm like, well, I need to own this now because I need to give these people money and I like <laughs> right. right. And I like clearly I've enjoyed this enough to the point where it's yeah. time to like, you know, like that little uh animated image on on Bandcamp where it's like Oh right, the heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Open your heart that. and your wallet or whatever. And I'm like, makes yeah, sure. Feel, makes yeah. me feel so guilty. Yeah. Bastard. So um so now this album, let's see. There's so much. There is so much here in this album because um I don't know if you know this about Weezer and Rivers and their fans. Well, I guess Rivers particularly is so much of this like open book um and he documents things really well mm-hmm. and he's completely honest so there's like and then his fans are so so fanatical uh about trying to find out information about this band there's actually a website dedicated to them called weezerpedia oh they have one of those i don't know if i spent any, i must have spent some time on there well, I, I've been spending some time on there this past few days. Um, it's essentially my only resource for for this conversation tonight because everything's there. I mean, right. like anything you would want to know about them, any song that they wrote, there's pretty detailed uh, um, information about each song and album and so forth. So I'll just go ahead and say that that's sure, my, yeah. my, my primary resource for, for tonight. But... Um, let me see. Let me let me start off this uh, before we get into the album. I want to just share a quote with you of Rivers Cuomo saying. Um, I really wanted these songs to be an exploration of my dark side, all the parts of myself that I was either afraid or embarrassed to think about before. Cuomo wrote on July 10th, 1996, in an open letter that was featured in the liner notes of the deluxe edition of Pinkerton that came out in 2010. So there's some pretty nasty stuff on there. You may be willing to forgive the mean lyrics if you see them as a passing low point in a longer story. And this album really is a story, the story of the last two years of my life. And as you're probably well aware, these have been two very weird years. I mean, yeah. And I mean, to be honest, I know that this album, like, well, its original reception was horrendous. Right. Um, And then also, like, as it's age too, it hasn't aged super well. Like, like you know, like yeah. songs like "Across the Sea" and things like that are a little bit. Uh, well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, a lot of this music is cringy. Yeah, I mean, like, and but that's okay. So, I think I don't know where I kind of came up with this point and where it is in the conversation. We'll probably bring it up again, but um, just because you're saying it, uh, I love this record. I really do. I mean, and like I said, it kind of hit me from when I was 16 until now when I'm 43. Um, I don't think that if the record was, if it wasn't produced in the way that it was, you know, if there wasn't that that raw kind of like fierce uh, delivery in the way that everything was recorded from the drums to the guitars to the vocals, it wouldn't have gone over. No. Like it, yeah. Like it probably wouldn't have kind of lasted as long as it has currently. Like, yeah, it was the poor reception because it wasn't as clean as the blue album. Yeah. But well, then, like, go was, ahead. sorry, there was the there was the printed retraction, right? Like in uh it was Rolling Stone or something like that. Did you know this? That Rolling Stone printed a retraction like twenty years later where they're like, oh, this yeah. actually, like, you know, actually nine out of ten instead of that, right. like, you know, instead of the half star 
or the two we gave it, you know, however long ago. Yeah, I mean, and that's weird that they would have done a retraction. I mean, it's totally fine to like look at a look back on a record twenty years later or however long it was and say like, you know what, this actually is a great record, and because now we have twenty years of of listening experience to realize how important it was, you know? And now we have 20 years of people making worse versions of this record over and over again. Oh, like, my God. <laughs> well, and, a whole, and a whole like, slew of bands it created that aren't also very good. But Right, right. Well, see, that's what I was trying to get at, was that, like, because of the intensity of, the, of this record and the way it's recorded and the delivery of all of the performances on it, like, I feel like it's been able to withstand the test of time and then mm-hmm. kind of persevere mm-hmm. as a, as a, like, you know, kind of like a landmark record. Whereas if you took these songs and, you know, boiled them down to like this really um, awkward, quiet uh, reserve version of it, like if, like if you could imagine the guy that's singing these songs at the open mic night tonight, oh, like, yeah. and that was the record, it would be embarrassing and horrible. I mean, like, you know, I know that Rivers saw it as an embarrassment to himself because it wasn't a success, but it would be that much worse if that's the way that it came out. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or if it had, if it had the production of say, a, of a blue or a green or something like that, like mm. a big yeah. part of it was the rawness and the, and the, just the pure rock, you know, of it. Yeah. I think so, because I mean, like the the vulnerability and like the awkwardness of the lyrics is is kind of like you can kind of almost forgive it because everything else is so bombastic, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so um, I don't know. I, I just wanted to make that point because I just um, I know that from what, like what you just said, it's like not aging well over these years. I mean, lyrically, yeah, it definitely kind of is uh is questionable um not necessarily in any kind of like political sense but just like that that just teenage awkwardness like you know i mean i know he wasn't a teenager when he wrote these things but i mean like but it it totally has that feel to it and it hits with teenagers big time yeah of course i mean it was a massive you know coming of age record for me and I listened to, uh, it wasn't a record that I, I, you know, I don't think people will, maybe people will see a direct correlation to it or not, but uh, the Ugly Organ by Cursive to me is just like, mm. very much just like continuation of, of Pinkerton of like awkwardly emo lyrics and just like raw aggression and over like, over the top soul bearing and oh, like yeah. and self-awareness. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, I don't, like, I'm not familiar with that record. I actually have to listen to that okay. one. Yeah, it's 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 great. It's like I don't know. I find myself finding these records that are like Pinkerton five years later, or Pinkerton ten years, you know, and like and stuff like that. Or you know, like I love Bleed American by Jimmy Eat World, which is very much just like a Weezer Blue, you know. Yeah, I refer, I, I refer to Bleed American as Weezer Three. It's the best record they didn't write. So yeah. Yeah, well, there was definitely a lot of bands that were inspired by them and uh, have uh, gone on to, you know, get loads of success and acclaim um, that are in that vein, that emo kind of like, fair, like fairly pop punk kind of realm. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I never got, I never really kind of got past that point. Um, as a matter of fact, this is pr- pretty much the old, like the last Weezer record I, I really oh, got into. Yeah, of course. I, yeah. Uh... I bought green at the same time, but, and I listened to it, but I mean, like, 
didn't hit the same. It's, it's, it's pretty soulless. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a few songs. Like, I, I, I basically give all of their albums a chance. Oh, I won't even do that. So good for you. <laughs> yeah. I've listened. I think, like, maybe it was somewhere around like last year. I think I listened to the majority of all of the new records. And I was just like, there's one that I can stand. Which there's one is one, out of um, curiosity? Is it the right. covers album? No, uh, there was actually an album that they had released. Uh, I forget the name of it now. I think I can look it up here real quick. Oh, yeah. Everything Will Be All Right in the End came out in 2014. And uh, that one was being uh, like heralded as like Weezer returning to form. Right. And I and I could have agreed. I mean, like, because I didn't even know that at the time. I just listened to it and I was just like, wow, this sounds like old Weezer. This is kind of cool. You know, I'll have to listen to it to believe it. Yeah, I but... mean it's it still has it, it still a little falls a little short, but it's it's the closest that they've come to like old Weezer music. Spent his way too many records. Holy shit. Yeah. Um... It only gets worse. They put they put out so much fucking music, it's crazy. Um, but the, the teal album has to be a, a massive low point I, I will say i don't know if i listened to that one that's the covers as the you know that's oh the covers the, album they cover africa everybody wants to rule the world sweet dreams are made of these oh. take me happy together paranoid like it is okay. it is rough <laughs> it's really <laughs> it's making me cringe just thinking about it all right so um well, let's go ahead and uh, and get into this record. Let's start to talk about uh, these songs. Um, so you had said something earlier, which I didn't know if you were actually privy to this information, but uh, Rivers Cuomo actually did release a book called The Pinkerton Diaries. Oh, I'm not familiar with this. Yeah, he released a diary, uh, like a book of his uh, diaries and kind of like random kind of scraps, you know, uh, thoughts from the years... 1994 to 1996, I think. So it was essentially like documenting the the creation of Pinkerton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really wow. yeah. I, I I can't find the book. Uh, there there was like three thousand copies that they sold through their website back in I don't know when when he was selling that book. So they're like nowhere to be found. You can't right. find a copy. But I did find um, a video version of Rivers actually reading excerpts from the book. Uh, live and so it's not a lot of information from that book but it did highlight some some of the songs like he he gives a very very quick like you know sentence or two synopsis of what he was thinking of at the moment that uh like describing these songs and on this album so i have some of those quotes oh cool for some of these songs um starting with the first song tired of sex um what he said was tired of sex is uh it was the it was the purely physical uh he's talking about the speaker in the song who wants an emotional relationship ashamed of sex and being a womanizer um so i don't really have a question for this song because i mean i don't really want to ask you anything personal like that oh yeah that's fair i mean to be honest i, I like i just think about the riff like yeah like like I can, I can picture myself playing it. My my bass is black and tortoise shell, just like Matt Sharp's bass. Like I, you know, like I did, I bought that on purpose. I bought a black and tortoise shell jazz bass. Oh yeah, because I was a Weezer fan, and 
yeah, great, great tune. Uh, great little, you know, bass slides at the end when the band comes back in. It's uh, there's mm-hmm. a the nice synth line that's quite uh, piercing right off the top, which is also nice. Right. So. Oh. But but so the song Tired of Sex, I mean, like for you listening to it for the first time as like a 12 or 13 year old. I don't, I, mean, think I, I don't think I even realized what the words were. You know what I mean? Like I was just yeah. like, this is wild. This is heavy. You know, like. Right. You know. Right. Well, so then even even as it, as you grew older with it, I mean, did did because uh, I, I was actually thinking about this earlier today, thinking like listening to this song as it's like this song may have clouded my judgment. Like I, like I feel very, very connected to, to rivers in a sense, because like, I, I do feel what he sings in this song. It, this, this song is a contradiction to his behaviors at the time. So he wrote it in about 1994, just mm-hmm. before the blue album came out actually. Okay. So, so this song is old. I mean, it's been around for a while. And, um, and so the idea of this, so he wasn't even a successful musician. Right. Right. At the time that he wrote this song. But so it kind of speaks to this thing of like where, you know, you have this kind of moral dilemma about what sex is, you know, like um, and like I said, I I connect to it because, you know, I always thought as a 16 year old, I was just like, well, I want to have sex because I hadn't yet. Right. Like for me, like sex was always something that was so like. Like I my uh, my father's side of the family is is Mennonite, which is like a. not how to write, but it's like in the it world. So mm-hmm. sex is a very like taboo-y sort of thing. Oh, okay. And so like it's kind of like there's like Mennonite guilt, like there's Catholic guilt or something like that. And so for me, like sure. like sex was a very like a, a slightly repressed thing. So sure. like it was just something like I couldn't even like fathom even thinking about it. Like the first time I like I just like I just knew what it was, and that's like all it was to me. Like right. I was like this song rocks. Yeah. I don't really care about like you know like it, it wasn't until later where I was like okay this guy like is lonely as hell like that's mm-hmm. like you know, like what I took away from it like later on as I listened to it right and like searching for love like yeah like, it's not it's not that like the physical act of, of love doesn't mean anything at a certain point if you have too much of it yeah and I think that it's funny that he kind of it always struck me as weird that it's just like, how can you have this revelation so young? Like, like if you have like, how much sex could you have possibly already had that you like think you're tired of it and like you want to just like settle down and get married? Like that's that was kind of a weird way to think. I thought at the at the time. I mean, to be honest, like I, my this is now. I always wanted to just like I would have totally been one undone. Like if like, you know, if like the first woman I ever fell in love with was the one and I mm-hmm. was one person for my whole life, I would have been down with that. Um, right. Because like I was always like, you know, I always put emotional before physical always and, and, and you know, in every romantic relationship. Uh, yeah. yeah. So. So like, I don't know, I get it. I get it. But maybe that's just because I, too, am just like a giant repressed dork. So. <laughs> Yeah. Well, see, I, mean, I felt that same way too. I mean, like I actually, my first, like my high school girlfriend that I ended up losing my virginity with, uh, you know, we talked about it. We talked about the whole marriage thing and we were like, yeah, we're, we're good for each other forever. Like we're, this is it, you know, and it didn't work out by the end of our senior year, but you live and you learn, I guess. I don't know. Exactly. 
All right. Well, um, so the next song is Get You. Um, I don't have anything for this uh, song either. I was actually going to skip it. I didn't really have a question for it because like, there was very limited information about it that kind of seemed pertinent. But I will share his quote with you. It says that uh, Get You, uh, uh, he feels tremendous pain in not possessing a particular girl. He's getting a little payback, but knows if she consented, he wouldn't care about her anymore. Oh, okay. Weird, right? That's, 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 I don't like that. No, see, and that's a weird thing, too. It's just like, okay, so from the guy that's, like, all about, like, oh, I just want to get married, I don't care about sex, I just want to find this girl to, to settle down with, to, like, you know, needing to get payback for a relationship or, you yeah. know, and, like, kind of just trying to take advantage or, like, kind of just, get, I don't know, it's being just, weird. Yeah, use somebody. Gross, gross. Yeah, yeah, but, I mean, at the same time, I mean, that's, it's not uncommon, you know? I mean, like, I think maybe as a teenager, you know, like being a teenager listening to this, I definitely did not grasp any of that. No. Um, but as I got older and started to develop, you know, have relationships and so forth, it was just like, okay, I understand kind of what that means because, you know, we either have or, you know, been that person uh, or been on the other end of it at some point in our life, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. That's a weird, I never, I never really even thought about what that song was about, to be honest. Like, Hmm. like weird weird really, yeah. opening, really opening my eyes tonight <laughs> oh good well yeah i hope not for not for the bad just to, all for I mean, good that's also okay too if it's for the bad it's fine yeah well i mean like i like that quote like that quote i read to you earlier from from rivers kind of looking back or at least like you know kind of trying to give a little bit of a of a disclaimer to to what the content of this album is i mean it's it's his dark side you know i mean i think it's it's an actual kind of like re, like good interpretation of like what went on in his mind at this time you know for better or for worse like just like we all kind of have like these you know kind of questionable thoughts that go in our mind go on in our mind every now and then but you know for the most part we don't act on them that's that, mm -hmm. that type of thing you know right right that's like the same way that i always thought like you know, when you think about like how you can die at any moment all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. You're like, but you just like, don't, you just have to live like you're not going to die at every like time you cross the street or every time you leave the house or whatever, whatever. I remember having a, like some weird. Yeah. Yeah I, I, yeah. I get morbid like that too. As a matter of like, <laughs> ever since I was young, I, for some odd reason, just always had this like suspicion that, I'm going to be walking down the street one day and a car is just going to fucking smash into me. And that's yeah. going to be the way I go. Yeah. I remember okay. like, I just always remember having to like tell my mom that I loved her every time I left the house. Cause I may not come back. And I was just like, I was maybe like seven or eight or something like that. But I was just like, maybe just realizing my own mortality as a, as a, as a child. Sure. So, yeah. That's, that's some pretty heavy stuff. Yeah. Especially as a, yeah, as a kid. Nah. I'm still here. I'm fine. As everyone heard, I'm 31. I'm still fine and all's well. You've you've made it pretty far so far. You're, you're yeah. doing all right. Doing all right. All right. So um, so the next song is no other one. Now, uh, this is a pretty good one. So no other one. No other one. Um, I got this quote from uh, from Genius.com. I I I, uh, I I I derailed myself from the Weezerpedia for a little while. Um. No other one details the harmful relationship, harmful relationship between the narrator and his cheating drug addict, drug, drug addicted girlfriend. 
Although the narrator is aware of the issues and strain her drug use is putting on the relationship, he remains with her out of fear of loneliness. Yeah, I, I don't know if I really see it as a as a drug thing. I think that's I think that's a uh, I think that's just like a, maybe a little bit of of hogwash, if you will. But I I under, mm. like yes, like every other aspect of the of the that that the person off genius was saying is I agree. You know, all the drugs she does, you know, scare me real good. Right. You know, she's got a tattoo and two, pe- you know, and two pet snakes. Like, it's really, I don't know, it's like people come in and out of your life at a time for a reason, be it transitional or for the long term. And that's sort of how I view, like, it's like, you know, it's kind of like a song about, you know, I've had relationships like this that are essentially just like rebound relationships. Like, you know, you you hang out with someone and you're like, you know what, I used to have someone to go grocery shopping with or go to like do like make dinner with or something like that. But now I'm single. And so then there's someone else who's also recently single. And then you start doing those things together. And it's like, you know, you don't want to be alone. It's filling yeah. the void for the moment. Yeah. 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 So like I kind of see that song like as 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 that a little bit. I think the yeah. That's maybe yeah. that's me. Okay. Well, so I'm going to, I'm going to take a little bit of a turn here. So, so stick with me, but so sure. from the quote that I, I shared with you um, with this being said, uh, it brings up the idea of how revealing this album is uh, from what I've learned from your bio uh, is that this new album of yours uh, is also your most honest and vulnerable. It's also true. So uh, was this an equally conscious decision to kind of expose your dark side? Um, yeah, I guess so. Like, I just, I, every record for Tunic has had, a, you know, the first record, like Complexion, which is now just on Exhaling. It's like a breakup record and Quitter is a, a, a record just about, you know, Rory quitting and me quitting drinking. And then Wrong Dream is just about a lot of sad stuff. <laughs> uh, I... I had a friend who died. I, um, you know, continued to struggle with um, my depression and and anxiety and and everything all about that. But uh, was it a conscious choice? I guess so. Uh, and also, a, a big part of, of of wrong dream is about chasing the wrong dream, aka the American dream of just working and falling and sort of losing myself to capitalism and sort of realizing that you can't. That's, that you just sort of like I kind of just I was a suit essentially without wearing a suit and uh, right. so I guess it was maybe like a slightly conscious decision but not um, but not as drastic as one might think uh, it was just yeah. it's just the the realities of my situation at the time yeah okay I mean because I listened back to it you know uh, I listened to it again today and try to follow along with the lyrics to kind of just like get a better idea of what is being said uh, Mm -hmm. throughout those songs Mm -hmm. Um, yeah I mean I don't think it's the same it's not it's not the same type of vulnerability I mean like I think that you are more poetic in your words yes and that and that's a shield that's a guard to be honest like that like like um, like it's done poetically on purpose to be like yeah so you don't hear exactly what it is this is like oh this isn't you know 
you were saying shame and guilt or whatever. And it's just like, you know, this song could be about jerking off, but I'm not saying I, <laughs> I'm jerking off. I'm saying this in a different way where it's, you know, it's interpretate it's interpretational. You can kind of take whatever you want out of that. You know, and I and I heard that that you know, not that you were singing about that, but I'm just saying that uh the lyrics are are creative and evocative because it does leave a picture to be painted that can be kind of, you know, for somebody to interpret however they want to exactly. And there's been a, and there's been a few people who have been like, oh, this song has to be about this. And I'm like, sure, if that's what you want it to be about, like that's that's cool with me. And like some people like like protect it or something like that. Like someone's like, oh, this has to be about COVID. I'm like, oh no, it's not about that. But like, if you mm-hmm. want to think it's about that, but like really, it's about people portraying themselves on Instagram, like you know, like in a certain way of in the like you know in the the cause of gaze of social media, if you will. Yeah, sure. I, I get some of that too. Yeah. Um, what was it? Uh, Under glass. Yeah. That one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, you know, and then I also feel your 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 strife. Well, like in the bio, it's mentioned. I mean, like I can't pinpoint exactly where it was on the record, but the 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 um, the strife that you felt about being in in the suit, like kind of like selling your soul for for a job type thing. Yeah, disease and and all that stuff. Yeah, there's a couple of tracks like that where it's just about being a square and just working and not making records and not doing the thing that I've dedicated my whole adult life to. And right, the the line is uh, a disease unable to shake, which is you know what capitalism is on the world. So sure, sure. I mean, and everyone feels that. I mean, like. I feel like even the people that I know that are musicians that are, you know, still going at it very hard. And like, you know, it's, it's hard to say that there are successes, you know, because as you, oh, yeah. as you probably feel yourself, I mean, it's just like how many tours, how many records do I have to sell to be a success? You know, it's just like, we, we describe ourselves as like a blue collar band all the time. And I know that like, mm-hmm. that's such a you know, blue collar, white collar, whatever it's all dumb, but like, we'll all have jobs that we will come home to for the rest of our, you know, like, and I think, you know, even like we think about like bands that are, you know, two levels above us who are still in our rooms, like they're still struggling to like, right. To like live, like, you know, yes, maybe they're full-time musicians, but they make $35,000 a year, $40,000, you know, like that's not a ton of money to, you know. Yeah. It's not glamorous. Yeah. So. But they get to play those sold out rooms, which is fun. Exactly. Exactly. That's all, you know, <laughs> and I, and I know that Tunic, you know, we talk about how Tunic has a ceiling too. We know we're not going to be, you know, to go back to the white stripes or, you know, something like that. We're not going to be a arena band. We will be a, a, you know, a club band for the rest of our lives. We'll be playing at mm-hmm. midnight or 11 PM <laughs> despite us wanting to, you know, like well into, you know, for a long time to come still. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. I just, uh, I, I feel you. I just, I feel your record. I feel where you're coming from. All right. Well, let's, uh, speaking of which, let's move on to the next song. Why bother? Why bother? Great track. So why bother? Let's see. What do I have here? Uh, in 2005 and for a few years after why bother was typically performed with guitarist, Brian Bell singing lead vocals. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, speaking of vocals, 
and your new album, Wrong Dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like the vocals are coming from a very different place compared to your previous two records. Um, like your vocal delivery is a little different. Can, mm-hmm. can you tell me anything about this change? Sure. Uh, I wanted to make a more uh, diverse sounding record and uh, very much um, my vocals were very, you know, one dimensional on the first two records that we made. Mm-hmm. And so to open it up a bit to make um, the record sound a little more diverse and sort of have some some dips and some and some you know some heights and everything like that i wanted to uh just switch up my the, the styling of my vocals a little bit mm-hmm. and also screaming like how i screamed before every night is a really amazing way to burn yourself to destroy your voice and uh right so now it's uh like this last tour we just did i was like never like oh man i gotta like drink as much tea as possible or do something like, I was just like, Oh, I'm cool. I can do this every night now that I don't have to like yell my fucking head off all the time. Right. Uh, yeah. It was, though, though it, you still do, you still do a little yes. bit. Yes. And I, yeah. And I still do. And I still, my voice still changes and my, my talking voice gets lower and raspier and on, on tour. But like, I was never scared of losing my voice, but it's just about like, you know, the same way as in the songwriting had evolved on the third record. It's, um, it's, uh, same way the songwriting has evolved on the record, I wanted my vocals to to catch up as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I can I can definitely hear that. I mean, like it was a it was a shift I felt because you know I listened to all of your music and um, maybe maybe I'll make this comparison. Uh, as you had said earlier, when Pickerton was released, it received a cool reception at best uh, due to its drastic raw production. Um, so let me ask you this. Uh, what do you think is the biggest difference or change Tunic has gone through on your last album? Oh, um, well, we play in a major key for the first time ever. <laughs> um, we have a song that's over six minutes. Okay. Um, there's legitimate. Har- yeah, there's legitimate harmonies. Um, it's the first record we made without Rory and our friend Drew from the band Blessed. Uh, co-wrote the songs with us and played bass on it. Um, mm. so the, I don't know. The biggest thing was just that we sort of like we opened up the record genre-wise and songwriting-wise. We 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 wrote better songs and we you know instead of sort of just like slamming pieces together and being like okay done, we like really put everything under the microscope this time and really like thought about what what you know what the what's best for the song instead of just being like we need to write songs so we can make an album. Like it was about crafting, like really the art of, of songwriting this time. Hmm. Okay. So are, would you consider yourself to be a better songwriter now? Yes. Yes. So, yeah, very much so, I would say. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, and what about the band? Because uh, your band has gone through changes. Uh, you're the only original member, I think. Right? I am. That's correct. Um, Dan, who plays drums, uh, Dan's been in the band for, I guess, five or six years now um so it's like it's been a long time uh for them and dan replaced sam who was our original drummer uh, and dan plays on quitter and plays on wrong dream and, and rory played on complexion and and everything on exhaling and on quitter and then uh tomas has joined and i i feel like we have the best version of the band ever everyone's the most committed and 
everyone is really into it. Tomas came in just like guns blazing, like what responsibilities mm-hmm. can I take? Like very much like Dan, when Dan first showed up, Dan was like, I was like, what songs do you know? Dan's like, I know all of them. And same with Tomas. Like I was like, what songs do you want to play Tomas? He's like, I know all of them. And I was just like, okay. And so wow. like, it's just sort of like Dan and Tomas, I guess I'll go back. Rory and Sam were my friends and we made a band as friends. And then one of us wanted to take it as far as we could. And the other one sort of gave their blessing to to bow out and find people that were willing to take it as yeah. far as, as it's willing to go. Yeah. And that's, you know, Dan and Tomas now have, have joined and it's, everyone's just really gung ho and, and wants to make you know, the best music possible and really wants to push this project as, as, as hard as we can. So it's, uh, mm. Yeah, we've had a lot of turnover, um, and I'm extremely stubborn. And instead of changing the name, because that's just sort of you know suicide for something that you've worked so hard on, I didn't want right. to. I didn't want. I didn't want to give that up. I just wanted to keep going. Right. Right. Okay. Well, that, I mean, that's great. Um, I'm glad that you found people that are of equal measure to your to your you know your desire. Yeah, or you know maybe uh, my my ignorance of of life but who's who's to say it's it's hard i mean like being in a band is is kind of ridiculous i mean oh so it's like the most selfish thing you can ever do in your whole life uh yeah but you do but it is like when you find your audience you find people that like it and obviously you have to some degree because you know i mean if you didn't then you wouldn't still be doing it um that's gratifying in another way where it's not so selfish because you're giving something to other people and that's it's of their their own accord to find it and to get into it and to you know <clears throat> to be committed to it and and as a as a fan. Yes, and to be honest, watching people just like react to the music and be stoked on it is just awesome. Like it's just like the best. I don't know. It's we we play shows now where people sing the words back, and that's just weird. And it's yeah, asking the promoter what the ticket counts are and knowing that there's actually going to be you know, 60 people at the show or something like that. I'm like, holy shit, are you for real? Like, you know, like 60 people have decided that they're going to come see Tunic on a Wednesday night and mm-hmm. Detroit or Ottawa or wherever, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, yeah. cool. So that's great. Fantastic, man. I mean, you can't, you can't ask for much more really. No, I mean, like, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like you don't make music that people, that most people enjoy. So it's, if, if, if someone's, you know, you don't, you know, you don't have to be better than them. You just have to outlast them is what someone told me once. And that's, uh, yeah. Uh, well, that's why you don't change the band name. That's why you exactly. kept on, right. Exactly. Keep it going. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, well, let's move on to the next song across the sea. Aye, aye, aye. Scary one. Scary. Why do you consider it scary? Oh, it's just, it's pretty creepy. It's a creepy tune. You think it's creepy? Do you like this song? No, it's a great song. Great, great, great great song but i just mean there's like some there, there's some very cringy stuff in this one sure sure um look give me give me your interpretation of, of what this what is the cringy part of this song uh the exact um moment uh i sniff and i like that the envelope you know that part and then the, i wonder what clothes you wear to school i wonder how you decorate your room i wonder how you touch your touch yourself 
and curse wow. myself for being across the sea. I'm like, well, ooh, like that is. He, uh, he he only saved himself because the opening line is, uh, "You were an 18 year old girl." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's a great song. It's a great musically, melodically. Mm-hmm. It's it's a great great song, but there's some real lyrics in here that do like this. This is the this is song. This is like when I think about this record not aging well. Like this is the, like feel like i'm at a horror movie like i'm covering my like my face out of like fear when I, i'm like oh i can't like yeah so. oh that's so funny that this song does that to you i mean there's a number of songs on this album that do that to me um this not being one of them actually oddly enough i mean like i feel your 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 you know hesitation and your you know kind of cringy uh cringiness to the song because you're right i mean it certainly is weird but i think that that's the that's the kind of like maybe too honest uh take in lyric and in, in like you know river's word choice you know because like like i can see him doing these things and it's just like yeah it's oh, it seems, it's cringy as fuck and, and, it, and it makes you feel a little weird but at the same time you know i'm like i get it maybe because i feel like i know him to a degree because of you know obviously all of the lyrical content of the songs and so forth you know yes. you feel like you've developed a relationship with him because you're like well I can relate to a lot of what you're singing about. So, you know, I think you're cool. So if you do this type of thing, it feels weird, but I appreciate your honesty, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate the honesty and I just like, it's just, a, it's a, it's a great tune. And like, there's some really hilarious lyrics that I like shaved my head at 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, thought of old, the older women would like me. if like older women, you're 10 years old. So, like, but yes, it's just so brutally awkward. Like it's just like it's like you can feel like yeah. the growing pains and in, in 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 the human being. Right. Yeah, for sure. And, like, and especially also as a child of the internet and having like internet crushes on people and things like that too, who like mm-hmm. you know, and so it's just like for me it's like it, you know, it's, it's just rung it it really rung you know, true of that awkwardness and of that, you know, yeah, anxiety of you. I, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I have a few things to say about this song, so I'll just start here. So the lyrics of the song are so deeply personal and intimate, you can't help but to feel a little embarrassed, either because of his own vulnerability or maybe the connection you could make to it yourself. Um, which do you think you connect with more? Oh, I think the vulnerability of it, because it's just like, it's just, it's too much. It's too much. Yeah. Yeah. It just, yeah. yeah, it just makes you feel too, too embarrassed, kind of. Yeah. Real secondhand embarrassment, like, is how I feel when I listen to this. Okay. But then I'm so, like, the song rocks. I don't care. Great guitar solo. Way to go, everybody. Like, you know. It's such a, it's such a great song. I love this song. I really do. Um Across the Sea is one of the most emotionally charged songs in the entire Weezer canon. Uh, Rivers Cuomo wrote this song while attending Harvard University, and it has been cited as one of the key turning points Cuomo experienced when deciding to go forth with the concept of Pinkerton in place of the... uh, Oh, Songs from the Black Hole. You know about this. Okay, yeah, Songs from the Black Hole. Of course. Okay, good. So you are a fanatic. All right, great. Oh, I mean... Yeah, oh yeah, Songs from the Black Hole. Of course, that's the only reason I ever paid attention to any of those, uh, like 
rivers stuff. demos yeah those demo like rivers like solo records where he was just slowly putting out songs from the black hole until someone oh, like, right. the internet put them all as one thing and i was like yes please yeah 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 oh that's where the book came from uh alone three oh, okay when, when that came out the pinkerton dyers came out with it as like this like you know kind of exclusive right. thing through their website which makes sense because it's like now all of these songs are out there now so yeah right yeah okay so you know about the the songs from the black hole so um so the question is uh is there a song on your on your new album that may have steered the overall direction of it oh um no i don't think so i think the biggest thing was drew pushing dan and i to make a record that we wanted to make um because there's some songs on it that sound very drastic and like every band when you write a song you just name it after you write a riff you just write the you name the, the song after whatever the band was that inspired you i think that the biggest factor in the, the way the record turned out was working with our friend drew who sort of like allowed us who okayed us to lean into some more post-punk slash maybe indie adjacent uh tendencies that we had instead of having to focus on making like uh Hmm. a super blown out record again or something like that right right yeah okay cool well that's good um let's move on to the next song the good life so let's see what i have here it says uh so with careful analysis of the lyrics it's fair to say that the speaker is at wits with that dissatisfaction of their self-inflicted exile and long to get back to the touring, recording, and groupies of being the rock star that they truly are. Sure, you... I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, from what I've read, I mean, that, that is yeah. true. I mean, you know, because... I know, I'm not, no, I'm not, I'm not attacking you there, sorry, I'm just... Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah. Um, do you consider being in a band and touring the good life? Or oh, a, a good um, life? It's my life. Yeah. It's my life, and I made, and I made that decision, and I do consider, uh, I, I, you know, like I'm married and uh, I've never ever ever done any groupy thing ever in my life. Um, Noise but, rock doesn't doesn't really like. I mean, we're just uh, playing to forty. We're, we're, we're just playing to forty year old men all the time. It's just yeah, exactly. Just, <laughs> just guys who drink micro brews being like, oh, and I'm like, hello. Um, but uh, yeah, I know I love touring. I, uh, I, it's definitely Tunic is very much a live band, but now I'm slowly falling in love with making records. Recording was always very scary for me. Mm. And so, uh, and live was where I shined because it was all in the moment and I could hide my unique way I play guitar in the live setting, whereas mm. in, uh, recording is forever. And so like, struggling to get to get that take in front of your bandmates or the person hitting record is always very embarrassing um so i i do love to tour i it's the most you know i stopped going to therapy when i started touring all the time not only because i couldn't afford it but because i was so therapeutic to yell and scream and, and get sweaty and and have that every night and so like that's like putting on a show and essentially being an anti entertainer and like yelling about everything and like watching people react is like the best feeling in the world for me it's actually i should say and this is what i say often to people when they're like why do you still do that I'm like it's the best high i've ever had in my life and i do everything in my life to get that high again hmm. and so, so I, 
It's addiction. <laughs> yeah, I'm addicted. I'm addicted to playing mine. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I feel, I feel you. I mean, like, I have not been able to perform in quite a long time, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's the only reason why performers do it. You know, I mean, like, yeah, there's a point where if you, if a person gets successful enough, like, you know, they're paid, and that's their job to do it. Yeah. But I mean, realistically, it's the thrill of being out there and having people, you know, connect to it in some way. Yeah, and trying to grow something too, right? Like I just played a show with a different band. That's not my band. It's my my friend's band. And we've been playing. Her and I've been playing music together for like over half our lives. Mm-hmm. And I just play it because it's a glorified hang. And as I was playing the show, I was like, "Yeah, this is all right. It's pretty good." But it wasn't like this is the fucking best thing ever, you know? Like when it's like when it's tuned. Yeah, when it's your thing. Yeah, when it's my thing. Yeah. Yeah, when it's so, you, you bearing your soul, it's different than just kind of like filling in and like, you know, playing the notes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, next song is El Scorcho. Uh, I don't have any questions for this song, but I did have a couple of really quick facts that I wanted to share with you because it's just stuff that's always been stuck in my mind about this song. Well, great. I'm all for it. All right. Um the lyric watching grunge leg drop uh, leg drop new jack through a press table do you know what that is i don't i don't know what that is i've never known what it is i've thought about it yeah i don't know what it is okay so um it's a reference to an uh ecw match uh so wrestling yeah um, where johnny grunge literally leg drops the wrestler new jack through a press table all right yeah. I, never knew, I never knew that, so thank you. <laughs> and uh, and then the uh, the lyric, listening to Chocho San, fall in love all over again. Also don't know what that is in reference to. Well, now, see, this is actually kind of important. This is kind of important to this whole record. Because um, that lyric is in reference to Madam Butterfly. Which oh, is... yes, of course. Oh, so you know. Yeah, I understand. I understand, you know. But yeah, okay. It's, well, it's the whole art of Pinkerton and the back. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah. It, I mean, essentially, from what I understand from the, the research that I had done, that uh, Madame Butterfly is kind of like the key influence to this whole record. Yeah. Yeah. Or to, I guess, maybe the songs that are, yeah, I guess the whole record, but I mean, like, obviously there's some songs that were about space. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I guess it's a loose kind of like theme. But yeah. I mean, those characters specifically, I guess, you know, because um, let's see. So, so Chocho San being the main love interest of uh, of the uh, another character in the opera, opera uh, B.G. Pinkerton. Right. Of course. That's yes. the namesake of the album. Right. Right. So, yeah, I mean, so I mean, it's a, I feel like that's kind of a very pivotal point lyrically in, in the album, which I never got until. Yeah. You know, doing all this research now. Crazy. Yeah. That right, I understood that the loose concept, but I never knew anyone's name from it. So uh, yeah, so that's all I want to share with you about that song. I think that that was just kind of fun information to to, to pass along. Uh, next song is Pink Triangle. Oh, great track! Yeah. Uh, again, another song I don't really have a question for, but I will just say that uh, Rivers explained in an interview on Fresh Air with Terry Gross that the song was inspired when he saw a beautiful girl in one of his classes at Harvard in 1996. 
He watched her over a period of a few weeks and band began to have fantasies of marriage and was crushed when she came to school with a button of a pink triangle on her backpack. He had taken that to me and she was a lesbian. I don't know, is that like, I guess I should have asked my best friend to love lesbian. I should have asked her if that's a real thing, but... Uh... I think at the time that it was, it was kind of like a big fashion thing. Like, uh, you know, I mean, like now rainbows are essentially kind of like the... the uh, right. tell, yes. telltale sign of, uh, of you know uh, uh, LGBTQ pride yeah. yeah. Um, but back then when it was you know I don't know how to say that exactly it's not like it was a f- it, was a, it was a more yeah I, I, know, I know where you're trying to get to but yeah yeah it was the it, it was like the visual kind of component of like what that meant to kind of be part of that community I guess mm-hmm. like um what was that band? Uh, the that punk band. They had a pink triangle in their logo, and it was a very, very queer, positive band. Uh, oh. P- Pansy Division. Oh, this I don't, I don't know, don't know, unfamiliar. Okay, yeah, because it was like it was like that period of time specifically that that kind of like the pink triangle was definitely associated with uh, like homosexuality and lesbianism specifically. I feel. Right. Okay. Okay. And I will say that the song has one of the best one of the best lyrics of all time on it, mm-hmm. which is everyone's a little queer. Can't you be a little Can't you be a little straight? Right. That is that is, is a pretty good one. That's, you know, out of all the sort of bad lyrics on that, not to say that record, not to say that lyric is overly good, but I just mean it's, it's, it's very, uh, it's clever. It's well-written, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, I, I agree with that, because uh, I, I, you know, I mean, I think it's true, too. I mean, like, in a yeah. sense. Yeah, it's, it's like one of those brutally honest lyrics where you're like, huh, nice one, instead of being like, oh, that uh, makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> so. Oh, you have a tendency to do that, to make me uncomfortable. Rivers, rivers. Um, I can't remember if it was that song or if it was the next song. I think it's the next song, "Falling for You." Mm -hmm. Uh, At the beginning of the track, a woman's voice can be heard saying in Korean, uh, "Whatever it is in Korean, I can't pronounce it." uh, What makes this? What what company makes this product? Is essentially the translation of what what it is that she says. During the recording sessions, Rivers' amplifiers was receiving radio interference of what sounded like a woman speaking an an Asian language. Considering the themes of the album, Rivers felt it was divine intervention and left the intrusion on the master tape as a happy accident, rather than re-record or edit the recording. Um, I know you recorded your last uh, album uh, here on Rhode Island at Machines with Magnets. Uh, Can you tell me about any session um, where there may have been a happy accident or divine intervention? Oh yeah, sure. Um, happy accident on the record. There's um, there's a part on the record. I can't. Remember, I, it's in punishment enough, where I'm doing the vocals and I screw up and I yell off oh, fuck, and Seth kept it in, and it's just buried underneath the other uh, vocals. Yeah. So it's just all like it's sort of like the pre-chorus and it's building and I'm just all like and I hear myself just like and you it's in the background it's just like an, there's an off fuck there um, and then there is I think there's another happy accident uh, or divine intervention 
but yeah, that, that's, that's, and I, to be honest, that's actually happened on a different record where I also screwed up the lyrics and yelled, oh, fuck. And then it, it also makes uh, it onto the master recording. So it's uh, two for two, if you will. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, maybe this will become a trend. You'll, you'll make a point to, to, to throw well, in a couple the, of oh, fucks. The one thing that I do do on each record is I take a lyric from the previous record and put it onto the next record. Uh, like hidden? or Yeah. Like... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like on the very first EP, I don't do it, but on this, um, but on the next, on the boss EP on eye contact, there's a line I sing, I am, I am a constant disappointment again. Uh, okay. And then at the end of, uh, and then on complexion, the first record I say, so you want to be the boss. So you want to be in control from the okay. song boss on the record. And then I, I can't remember what it is on quitter. And I can't remember what it is on Wrong Dream, but I know they're both in there where I purposely do it. And it's just like a fun thing for me to do. And I've never actually really spoken about it till right now. So, oh, okay. Uh, well, so, so these are like Easter eggs, really, kind of. Yeah, it's just like a fun thing for me to do to be like, I need a lyric. Maybe it's the time for me to pop in the lyric from the previous record in here to uh, to be sure. to be the placeholder. And then, it, and then it ends up working and stays. And sticks, yeah. Um, it's also kind of like... Um makes makes for like a little through line of all of the, the works exactly and like i typically i like to do it on songs that relate to the previous you know song sure so they share a lyrical theme I'll, I'll i'll be like oh no line would work here is this one i already wrote let's put it in yeah okay the song also has the incredible lyric of i gotta go turn in my rock star card and get fat and old with you yeah uh, I love it. There's so much good stuff on this record. I mean, like, cringy at times, sure, but still, still really great. Oh yeah, and then that whole that whole second verse, because I'm a burning candle, you're a gentle, you're a gentle moth, teaching me to lick a little bit kinder. Mm. And I do like you. You're the lucky one. No, I'm the lucky one. That no, that no, I'm the lucky one is such a powerful lyric in the song, right before that that chorus. Also, the fact that every verse starts with holy something. Holy cow! Holy moly! Holy, yeah. holy sweet goddamn! It's also yeah. just like a dumb thing that I always thought was funny. Yeah, little uh, uh, passionate too. It seems you know, like that he kind of has to start every every verse like that. And uh, I always remember this lyric always very much stuck with me of the uh, "What could you possibly see in little old three chord me?" Mm -hmm. uh, which I was like, yeah, I also don't really know how to play music where like, you know, I was like, I relate to that. Yeah. Well, obviously represents a very talented uh, guitar player. And uh, yeah, he, he gives himself a, you know, he, he, he cuts himself a little bit short uh, on credit. You know, he's, he's obviously very good at what he does and he's just very prolific to boot. Yes. So we'll just move on to the next and final song, Butterfly. Yesterday so butterfly sad one you find it sad i think so i feel like it's sad here this was the somber one for you yeah i i agree with you i mean like it's i love it i'm a sucker for a sad song i love sad songs there's nothing i like better than to listen to a sad song and drink beer and cry <laughs> oh we got a lot of hangouts to do all right cool man let's do it <laughs> um so Butterfly alludes to the Puccini opera about Madame Butterfly. Uh, the, opera, the opera concludes when the primary character, Chocho San, upon realizing that B.F. Pinkerton will not return for her, decides to die with honor rather than live in shame. 
and commits suicide with a knife, dying just as, as Pinkerton arrives. Uh, in the Weezer song, Rivers Cuomo sings about his regret upon catching a butterfly in a jar only to find her withered away when he wakes the next day. Actually, I don't really have a question for you about this song, uh, but that is cer- certainly a sad way to end it. It is. And I mean, I feel like that very the three last lines of the song or the repeated line of I'm sorry, mm-hmm. like when I hear that, I hear like um, like the next wave of music, like what we talked about, like I hear like Bright Eyes or something like that. Like I hear all these like all the emo. Dashboard, dashboard confessional. I hear all like like that gate, those floodgates opening up to uh there's even there's even this band uh that i really like that was on epic records for one record uh so is that why it's so sad for you oh oh, because it's just like it's just like to me it's just like no it's just a sad it's just a sad song it's a somber song and there's and there's again there's some questionable there's some i you know maybe this is my you know overly hyper mind of you know i smell you on my hand for days i'm like what's that all about i've done Uh, i've done that uh, it's fucking powerful Seriously, no. like when you can smell like a woman on like either your hands or like on your clothes or your yeah. pillow, or like um, yeah, there, there's some there's some there's some certain perfume that I smell and I can always I can just see the person in my mm-hmm. like, um yeah it's I don't know I just feel like this this song is sad to me because it opened up all it's a sad sounding song it opened up the floodgates of emo singer songwriters. Right, right. I also saw a band cover this song at a house party once, and I was like, "This is a terrible idea." <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like midnight on a Saturday, and you're up there playing Butterfly by Weezer. Like this, mm. is... you are a sad soul. Sad, yeah. sad soul. <laughs> I mean, like, play the good life. Play something that, that rips. But like, that is a bold and very bad decision. Uh, yeah, I can I can agree with that. I mean, <clears throat> I haven't seen anyone do it, do that yet, but uh, I can imagine it didn't go over well. No. So um, now I'm not too positive what uh, Dave Friedman's uh, role in this album was. He he's an engineer and he has worked on this record and he worked on this song. I don't know how many other songs he worked on because this album has been recorded like between four or five different studios right right yeah which is a which is a thing for, yeah. yeah uh dave friedman do you know who he is i know the name he's an engineer uh most famously kind of like worked with the flaming lips and uh and that's actually why weezer sought him out or were actually referred to him because they were like kept on trying to you know tell their engineers it's like can you, can you make a sound like the flaming lips like can you make it sound like this <laughs> and they were like why don't you just get their engineer yeah and sure enough, they found they finally found Dave Friedman. Um, so there's a quote from Dave Friedman about this song. It says uh, Rivers, he kept telling me this whole time, the whole time we're recording, I've got this other song, but we're gonna wait till till the time is right. And apparently, the right time was 4 a.m. on the last <laughs> night. Uh, he finished the first take, and that was the the first I'd heard of it. And I got I just got on the talk back and said, "You sure you want to say that to the people?" And he was just like, yeah, I'm sure. And I'm like, okay, good. I was like, that's amazing, but I can't believe you're being this honest and open and unguarded in life, let alone on a record that's about to go out. Yeah. It's, um, 
what's the uh to me i always sort of saw it as like the uh like weezer's version of like something in the way hmm. uh, like the nirvana song the last song like it's like a very i guess that's very much more of a this era of ending your record with a acoustic yeah yeah well you know it's funny i was actually just thinking of that comparison today as well like the uh, the comparison of of nirvana to weezer because you know they had their big breakthrough record their you know uh, major label debut i know that i know that you know nirvana had a record before nevermind but nevermind was in in so many people's minds their first record yeah um and then to to kind of counter that with their follow-up uh, uh album being like this like raw very punk driven you know messy album that didn't wasn't received as well at the time yeah, yeah. pinkerton is very much the in utero of uh, yeah. you know to the to you know the blue album being you know never mind for example like yeah absolutely right. and i yeah. mean also let's look at the time frame of this like blue came was announced or came out right after Kurt Cobain's death too right like it's no uh blue album came out in 92 i'm pretty sure blue album was right? 94 was it 94 okay okay so it was like around the time of the end of nirvana yeah like i'm pretty sure that like now i gotta look up what Kurt Cobain's death date was april 4th 1994 i'm pretty sure yeah and now i'm pretty sure that the blue album came out right after that. Yeah, it was like May, I think, wasn't it? May tenth, nineteen ninety four. Oh, okay, wow. So, I always see that as like, like you know, one door closes, another open. Like people were like, "Oh, we need something," mm. and Geffen was the one that won. <laughs> Both. Yeah. Times. Right. How about that? That's weird. I did not. Yeah, like I said, only thing about that today. Kind of weird that that was that connection and then dgc records too yeah i didn't even think yeah. of that that yeah, was both, yeah, it, was both, it was both on dgc and it was that uh, dave geffen he's a genius they say and i guess like the first weezer record was also produced by rico Kasich from the cars and like whereas and there was really no big outside hotshot producer for for pinkerton mm-hmm. so, right uh and i guess that also makes sense why you know the listening back to the demos of of blue and like they were already very cars adjacent but you can definitely hear that oh yeah they were they were very much the cars of their time yeah yeah and that's crazy and then like i don't know like i think of yeah nirvana ending the pixies are over the breeders are happening frank black is putting out some subpar first early records I'm just trying to think, like, of the era of the, you know, like, like it just was a perfect time for for Blue to come out and then to launch that band. And then for them to make a quote-unquote misstep with Tinkerton is, is, is funny, but hmm. it's a great record. Well, I yeah. my favorite. Yeah, yeah. And let me ask you about that. Um, so why did you choose this record exactly? Like, how did you, what was the process of, like, kind of, trying to to nail it down because uh, i know it's a hard question i know it's like very difficult to think of one oh it's just a record that i feel like i am you know and, and maybe that's not true after sitting down that i feel like the most confident knowledge about or like the strongest that like i know it mm-hmm. front to back where i was like you know i can go through my head each time and hear each song and hear each guitar solo and hear each sort of like you know i can hear the 
uh, I'm closing my eyes. I can hear uh, the glockenspiel on, you know, the bridge of the good life. And like, hmm. it's just, it's, it's been a constant, in constant rotation since I first heard it. And by yeah. constant, I mean, it's a record I still listen to that I'm not tired of. And I like when I put it on, when I play it on tour, both my bandmates will just like put headphones in because they're like, fuck, not this again. You know what I mean? Like, but it's just been, it's yeah. just, it's just been a, a constant in my life since, since day one. Yeah. Okay. Um, what do you think that it, uh, or how do you, can you pinpoint anything that you feel like you took away from it, whether it was like directly or indirectly? Uh, bass distortion rocks. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, bass distortion is sick. Um, maybe, and this is, I don't know, maybe have your second record be similar to your first record a little bit more than you would like. Yeah. Maybe at times. You don't, you don't feel like you were, uh, willing to go out on a limb on your second record no, no. or... No, I wasn't. I was I was ready to make a better version of the first record that we made. So then where does the wrong dream fall? Like I know it's the wrong third dream, record. Wrong, I made. wrong dream is wrong dream is a is a is the outlier of the of the three. I feel like like I feel like wrong dream is like the best written noise rock record that we that we made that shows a development of songwriting and, and, and production. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I I think that's true, and and you know, good on you for for being aware of that. Um, where do you think you're going? I I I I like to think I know where we're going, and I think we're going even even further. So, uh, like we're not making a quitter, we're not making a wrong dream. I think we're we're gonna make a, a more crowdy, heavy, uh, repetitive. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I won't talk about the, the lyrical content, but it's also a very, very sad and emotionally vulnerable record that we're, that we're making. The most, yeah. very much the, the most like personal thing that we'll ever make. And, uh, but yeah, it's gonna be, you know, it's the songs will be, It'll be different. It'll be different, and I'm happy to just continue to grow as an artist and to make the art that I want to make and collaborate with, with Dan and Tomas and have fun and, and, and really just really grow as a as a band. I'm just happy to continue to just just very grateful to be able to make art with people that I love making art with and making interesting art that's interesting to to us and ideally people. But I, you know, I really have no desire to make uh, songs in the pop rock formula anymore mm -hmm. okay that's great man um i'm happy to hear it uh i'm looking forward to what you come up with next because it seems like you are definitely on a trajectory um Thanks. <laughs> and like i said i love a sad song so bring it on oh we got him we got him <laughs> so great man all right well hey um thank you very much for spending this time with me uh and discussing this record with me it was a lot of fun yeah it was awesome thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it Final Envision is a Psychic Static production. Theme song written and performed by Jeff Robbins of 123 Astronaut.